0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Uprising Uncut. I am Sonali Kolhatkar. By day, I host a program called Simply Uprising. On KPFK and KPFA Pacifica Radio, I've lost count for which episode this is, so I suppose that's a good thing. Um, I think I missed one week so far, and um, it's been fun to try to do this on a weekly basis. I'm going to try to see how long I can keep it up. Well, it's uh, been quite an interesting week. Uh, The most um, sort of newsworthy thing to happen domestically was, of course, the first democratic debate of the 2016 election season it's amazing to me how far in advance we are talking about the election um maybe i'm forgetting what it was like four years ago and eight years ago Uh, but you know we're still well over a year away from the actual election and of course candidates are vying for the nomination of their party and we'll see all the the primaries Um, next early next year but uh the democrats finally faced off and unlike the republicans which have just this gigantic number of candidates i think i have lost count at least a dozen uh the democrats have five possibly six there were one or two people who weren't allowed into the debate um Lawrence Lessig, a a very um, prominent progressive, apparently didn't poll high enough for CNN and Facebook to be allowed into the debate. I really wish he would have been, he might very well have been to the left of even Bernie Sanders. Uh, well, anyway, it was an interesting debate. I don't know if uh, any of you got to see it or sit through it. It it was very lengthy. I certainly wasn't able to sit through the entire thing, because it happened right during uh, when my kids and uh, my husband and I are having our dinner time, we have family dinner time. So we started playing it, and the kids were, you know, trying to talk over the talking. Uh, And then as I was putting my younger son to bed, the debate continued. It went on for a long time. So I actually sat through about half of it live and then read the transcript the next day. We did some coverage on uprising. It was really, of course, interesting, given that Bernie Sanders, who many people had imagined would never even be allowed into the debates, let alone you know, actually poll so high, it was interesting to see his presence there. And of course, once he decided to run with the Democratic Party, he became, um, you know, he he sort of gave up his outsider status. Um, And in doing so, he has um, had to calibrate his politics for a much more center liberal audience, um, at least on most issues. On the one issue that he has now become quite progressive um, it is predictably the issue of mass incarceration uh, and, and setting aside the issue of income inequality, which I'll get to, because that is his issue. So he's pro- very progressive on that. But outside of that, he's not as progressive as many of us like, would like him to be on other issues. But because the Black Lives Matter movement from very early on held him accountable, held his feet to the fire, confronted him so aggressively, um, he, it's had results. Their campaign has worked. So it's a real lesson for progressives from now till next November, if it appears as though Bernie may actually be able to beat out Hillary Clinton for the nomination. It's a real lesson. And actually, frankly, whether it's Clinton or Sanders, uh, it's a lesson for progressives on how to hold our elected officials accountable and how to hold their feet to the fire and force them to take on our issues if they want our votes. Anyway, the debate was... Um, You know, it was interesting. Hillary Clinton, of course, was very polished. Um, She's very experienced at debates. Clearly, she had done her homework. And and I'm sure because her campaign is so worried about Sanders, um, this was a real make or break point for her. Um, According to the mainstream media, she won with flying colors. Sanders was more true to himself. And, you know, he was definitely um, irate at times. He was just authentic you know, fairly authentic, um, uh, you know, with, with his uh, wonderful East Coast accent. What's oh, interesting is that he seemed to play quite well to audiences. There was a, a huge outpouring of support. His name was mentioned far more often on social media during the debate than any other candidate by far. He apparently raised some ridiculous amount of money um, during the debate as well and just increased dramatically his his number of supporters. So, if you judge by popularity, if you judge by public reaction, re- response, Sanders was definitely the winner, which you know is is great if your only issue is income inequality. Now he he was he was good on income inequality, he is good. That's been his issue for a long time. On so many other issues, though, I, I really feel like he has a long ways to go, and this is taking the approach. In politics, that you don't back a candidate, you make your candidate back you. If you take the approach of backing a candidate, then you compromise your own ideals and you say, it's okay that Bernie Sanders is clearly not very good on gun control or clearly not very good on foreign policy. I'm going to I'm gonna have his back. But if you feel that Bernie Sanders needs to do way better on gun control than he did way better on the issue of foreign policy and war than he than he did than then we have a lot of work to do in holding him accountable. Now I want to take on the issue of Afghanistan, which is an issue that's dear to my heart, but also is an issue in the news this week because President Obama announced formally that he was not going to he was going to stop the the planned withdrawal of US troops from Afghanistan. So, you know, we had been expecting this. He had kind of hinted towards it. He had slowed the drawdown, and now he stopped it altogether. And so it was, it's it is big news this week. Um, and and I'll get to the article in the Intercept this week about Afghanistan too. But but in the debate during the debate, Bernie Sanders um, was so proud of the fact that he supported the war in Afghanistan. I mean, he talked about uh, something like holding um, Bin Laden accountable in in um, afghanistan and making you know try. in fact let me just pull up his actual um quote right here he had a couple of quotes um where he mentioned afghanistan one was i voted to make sure osama bin laden was held accountable in afghanistan you know wow okay Um, And then the next quote where he made it really clear that he could be just as hawkish as Hillary Clinton or any other Democrat or Republican, he said, I am not a pacifist. Um, I supported the war in Afghanistan. I supported President Clinton's effort to deal with ethnic cleansing in Kosovo. I support I support airstrikes in Syria and what the president is trying to do. And right there, Sanders just lost me. It, you know, clearly he has not paid very close attention to foreign policy. Clearly he has not been held accountable by his constituency on the issue of foreign policy, his supposedly progressive Vermont constituency. And and I think that really means that we have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, we, our war in Afghanistan, you know, 14 years of war, and we have killed... More than a hundred thousand people and left the country far more devastated and destroyed than when we first walked in when the Taliban was in charge. I mean, we we screwed up Afghanistan more than the Taliban did. And you can hear, I'm sure, if you've heard my other earlier podcast episodes, you you, you can you know how I feel about Afghanistan. You can read up my writing about it. Anyway, I was very disappointed with Sanders on on that on that issue, and that's a big big issue. So, on to the Intercept. So, just um, Thursday or late Wednesday, the uh, Intercept published uh, an article by Jeremy Scahill, the in- wonderful, young, and dynamic and intrepid journalist, Jeremy Scahill, former producer at Democracy Now! I'm proud to say that I, he's a friend of mine um, and, and it's just been so proud watching Jeremy just do such fantastic work. Um, so he uh, wrote a very explosive article in The Intercept. Do check it out. It's called The Assassination Complex. And essentially, The Intercept obtained a, a trove of secret documents. And this is so exciting, <laughs> you know, that Glenn Greenwald, Laura Poitras, and Jeremy Scahill um, started this organization in the wake of, of Edward Snowden's revelations about the NSA and and his d- the, the trove of documents that he managed to obtain from the NSA and and spare it away and, and give over to journalists. And so now The Intercept has this great reputation for being responsible with the documents that whistleblowers hand them. And so clearly... Um, somebody from the inside, someone, an insider in the Pentagon most likely uh, trusted the journalists at the Intercept enough to to hand over this trove of secret documents on the drone program in Afghanistan. Remember, the drone program has been President Obama's weapon of choice, not just in Afghanistan, but in Yemen and Pakistan, um, in in the Northwest Frontier Province, which is the border area between Pakistan and Afghanistan, and, and in a number of other countries, Somalia, And it's been, uh, you know, the, 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 the congressional authority is vague on purpose. There is no official acknowledgement that we even fight these drone wars. And what these documents found was that the intelligence that the drone wars are waged on is so faulty that the vast majority of people who are killed by drones, our drones specifically in Afghanistan, are not the intended targets. And so are most likely civilians. Now, if we look at the U.S.'s reaction in bombing the hospital in Kunduz last week, week and a half ago, that was run by Doctors Without Borders, their initial reaction was to say, oh, no, you know, it was just some collateral damage. That was a hospital run by the Taliban. And that was the only reason it came out that the US um, essentially most likely committed a war crime in bombing a hospital uh, filled with patients and aid workers was because a foreign aid agency was in charge and made a lot of noise about it. But when ordinary Afghans who don't have political power in the United States Are killed the US gets away with simply claiming after the fact that they deserved to die that they were so-called enemy combatants anyway this uh, explosive article by Jeremy scahill do read it in the intercept the assassination complex just utterly undermines the basis any both moral legal political basis for the drone war and That didn't come up. The drone war, the drone wars, I should say, didn't come up once during the Democratic debate. That should have been a huge talking point. I mean, certainly kudos to Anderson Cooper for bringing up many issues. He did bring up many issues, but he didn't go deep enough, and he wouldn't. The mainstream media almost never does. Um, The mainstream media couldn't even get right that uh, in, uh, in the debate, CNN couldn't even get right who actually won the debate, as I said earlier. And so there are always going to be taboo issues that are not discussed. Uh, To the credit of Black Lives Matter, a question about BLM actually made it in, which was fantastic. And again, we need to take a page out of BLM's book. We meaning those of us who find that the issues that are near and dear to our hearts have to be raised. So I I really wish that that issue, uh, the issue of the drone war had come up. That was that was the big um, political issue this week. The other thing uh, that I actually wrote about for my article in Truthdig that just came out, I do a weekly column on truthdig.com, do check it out, uh, which was actually good news. I was so excited to be able to write an article with some good news. I'm sure there are some naysayers who will read it and think Oh, she's been way too optimistic. But but I, I don't I think you know, when we when things happen that are in line with our values, when policies change, when actions take place that people that social justice activists work for and and, and that actually materialize, it's really important for us to acknowledge them because at the very least it gives us the confidence to continue doing our work and it allows us to You know, examine the very concrete results of the work that we do, and that um, just—I think—that's really important. So, what (laughs) I'm—what I'm uh, I'm getting to, not fast enough. Sorry—is that the state of California, my home state of California, in the last just couple of weeks, passed a very large number of very progressive bills into law and they were coming so thick and fast that i couldn't even keep track every time i heard about or read about some new law in california that sounded amazing i would write it down i have this little list on my phone that i keep track of you know great story ideas whenever i'm sort of perusing facebook or reading the news or listening to the radio or having a conversation with somebody and something comes up or i get a press release or i get an email i write it down i scribble it down oh you know follow up on this and all of a sudden i was writing down about all of these Brand new, just passed, very progressive sounding laws in California, and so I, I, I had to write about it. I I um, I, I, I wrote a list article, uh, a listicle, <laughs> which uh, you know is is kind of the shortcut um, for for writers in these days of social media, but. I, I just thought that would be the clearest way to summarize and to present this um, menu of successes that the progressive movement in Southern Cal- in California, not just Southern California, but all over California, has enjoyed. So um, do check out the articles. And I'll just I'll throw out a few of them just so you get a sense. Um, the state of California passed an Equal Pay Act basically that requires that uh, that men and women be paid the same amount for not just the same work but the same kind of work and work that is valued the same and there's a difference Uh, on the federal level you know uh, um, an office manager say in a company who's a woman must um, prove that another office manager who is in the exact same position as her possibly exact type of seniority is getting paid and is male and is getting paid more then she has a case to take her boss to court and, and sue under the Equal Pay Act but now in California an office manager who's female can point to any other male co-worker who has even a different job title but whose work is a valued approximately equal to hers and who might be getting paid more and sue. Uh, the other aspect of this law which is so amazing is that it protects employees from retaliation for discussing salary for actually attempting to find out how much the other is getting paid so that they can um, take action if needed um and and that's that's amazing so that's just one one law another law is antibiotic use on animal farms um so much more progressive than the federal government Uh, california just banned the routine use of antibiotics on cattle farms. And this is huge because the, the, the agricultural industry in this country has been using antibiotics to promote growth just as a routine um, matter, of course, in animals, even when they're not sick, um, just rampantly, just you know, without any thought to its long-term impacts. And of course, doctors and medical researchers have uh, worried that this overuse of antibiotics, which do get passed down to us, is causing um, resistance uh, among bacteria and giving rise to so-called superbugs. And we're seeing these superbugs in in hospitals and and other places. And so there's been growing concern about this routine use, of routine administering of antibiotics to animals um, that are raised for human consumption. And the federal government just thought, you know, well, we should just kind of advise or issue guidelines. The government loves to issue guidelines as if that has ever made any difference. (laughs) So the federal government issued guidelines on veterinarians uh, prescribing antibiotics to um, animals in, in the agricultural industry, but California simply banned the routine use of antibiotics. That's it. The simple, direct way is always the best way. So now I believe it that it goes into effect in January. Um, I'd have to check that. Don't don't quote me on that. Um, but very soon, in the state of California, which is a very important uh, center of agriculture in the country, any meat that's raised for human consumption, any animals raised for for meat consumption, cannot be routinely given antibiotics and can only be prescribed antibiotics by a veterinarian if they are sick you know like the rest of us like humans so this is huge the strictest antibiotic law in the nation um applying to animals so that that's just those are just two of these very important laws laws that were um passed um in California, signed by Jerry Brown. Um, There's one on uh, uh, the so-called fake abortion clinics uh, regulating the Pregnancy Crisis Center that anti-abortion activists um uh, used to lure pregnant women who might be uh, considering an abortion. Um, California is not regulating that. There is a clean energy bill that sets very ambitious standards um, to have half of all of California's electricity be produced by so-called renewable energy in only 15 years by the year 2030. The question, of course, becomes what the definition, what means the definition of renewable energy or clean energy Um and so there, there's definitely the devil is definitely in the details on that specific uh, bill, but it's still, you know on the surface of it, very, very progressive, very ambitious um, bill. And so uh, immigration, undocumented immigrants, um, children of undocumented immigrants, undocumented children, I should say, are now eligible for medical insurance coverage subsidized by the taxpayer. 170,000 undocumented kids in California are going to get health insurance which is amazing. Um, and, and not just you know, be eligible to pay for health insurance, but actually get taxpayer-subsidized health insurance because they're poor and vulnerable. And it's the right thing to do, and, and we're doing it. Um, so many, many bills. I counted um, 10 issues. There's actually even more, 10, 10 bills covering um, crucial issues. There's, there's even more. So do check out the article on truthdig.com if you have been noticing and hearing about Uh, bills here and there, laws here and there, and are wondering what's happening in California. There there was a minor legislative revolution that took place in the first two weeks of October. Um, And so do check that out on truthdig.com. The other thing that I wanted to talk about uh, during this podcast was this amazing video that I just saw, I covered it on Uprising. It's going to air on Friday on KPFA in uh, Berkeley is a video that was created by a Palestinian uh, filmmaker and activist named Noura Erkat it's um it's it's just an amazing amazing video about black Palestinian solidarity um you know that sounds you know for for people who haven't been thinking about this issue sounds a little strange but it's perfectly perfectly beautiful and reasonable and and makes so much sense. So Nura and a team of, of people, filmmakers and activists and and videographers brought together 60 um African Americans and Palestinian uh, well-known folks and not so well-known folks, uh, you know, among them Angela Davis and Alice Walker and Omar Barguti and Lauren Hill and just amazing people to draw connections between their struggles between the struggles of these two communities and it's so powerful the the narration of the video is essentially a poem it's a very simple poem you can watch the video it's at blackpalestiniansolidarity.com and uh and they've shared the script and uh, the sort of the through line that the theme that is throughout this video is when I see them, I see us. And I think that's such a powerful sentiment. It's just also powerful human sentiment that when we look at people who may superficially look different from us, that we really do need to be seeing ourselves. I mean, that's the essence of empathy, right? But but specifically when somebody from in an oppressed community, from a community that's been resisting oppression for, for just generations and um, sees somebody else from a wholly different background, geographic, cultural, language background, um, and sees something very powerfully similar, that connection can be empowering for the two communities it can also be dangerous for the establishment and the status quo and so this uh wonderful video which you know I was bawling at the end of it and it's you know it's one of those videos that the music is very evocative the the language is really powerful and um and if you aren't feeling teary by the end of it uh you are you know a, a block of granite to quote who was it jim webb <laughs> from the democratic debate um was it jim webb or was it lincoln chaffee i can't i I mix up those two old white guys no offense intended to old white guys but um (laughs) but uh but this video is so powerful um when i see them i see us is is the first line and this uh, video draws connections between how you know palestinians face security checkpoints, face suspicion constantly, face a kind of denial and disbelief from the community that has power over them that they are even suffering. Um, and this and and bringing that home to the united states seeing the same thing happen here with african-American communities that are you know who are treated with suspicion um, whose communities are over policed who are criminalized so disproportionately who face so much danger when they're in front of policemen police officers um, to see those commonalities being drawn out was was just very powerful and i, I just think that's exactly the kind of thing that we should be doing you know there's 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 too much of a separation i find among progressive groups here in the united states between people who focus on domestic issues and then uh, many others who focus on on simply foreign policy and and i you know i have so many friends most of whom fall on one side or another of this invisible border. And really, that border is the border of the United States, right? If it, And there's so much shit that happens in the United States. There's so much um, devastation of communities. There's so much injustice that I don't blame those people who are focused on injustices in the United States alone um, for doing so. However, we as a people, as taxpayers, as citizens of the empire, are responsible for plenty of bloodshed outside our borders too and the world is becoming a smaller place and if we don't feel the pain that Afghans or Syrians or Hondurans or Haitians feel then I think we 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 lose or forfeit really is the better word a little piece of our own humanity I think we don't it doesn't need to be an either or, and and by the same token, there are so many um, political activists here in the United States that focus solely on foreign policy issues, that you know are so much more interested in what happens uh, in Palestine and ignore what happens in their own communities or, or near their own communities, and uh, and I think that both of those approaches are short sighted and and are. You know, don't do justice to our movements when we draw the connections. When we draw the connections between act- activists back home uh, or here at home and, and activists. When I say back home, because I'm a an immigrant, a foreigner. To me, back home is is very far from here. And maybe that's why I find it a very easy thing to do to draw connections between disparate communities because I am an immigrant. I don't know. Maybe 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 it shouldn't be so hard or maybe i'm just talking out of my ass i don't know (laughs) but um but but i think it's very powerful and it's also very threatening to to the establishment when we do draw the connections between oppressed communities here in in the united states and and those communities that our government oppresses and that uh, and that other governments oppress as well i mean we shouldn't just restrict ourselves to 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 the suffering wrought by our government directly for example you know if you look at the rohingya communities in myanmar um uh, the u.s government isn't directly responsible for their suffering for their dispossession um and and yet they deserve empathy action justice so i think it's very powerful solidarity is very powerful um it 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 um, creates bridges that undermine power. It creates direct people-to-people connections that say to governments, "We don't need you to define our relationships," and um, and that can undermine structures of power. It can undermine sources of violence. It can undermine the uh, the very the very weapons that are pointed at us, whether those weapons are in the form of actual guns or propaganda, uh, brainwashing. So I, I just, I think it's really, really powerful. And so please do check out uh, BlackPalestinianSolidarity.com. Um, I, I thought it was so powerful to see those connections being made by activists who are so geographically far from one another and even culturally um, different with the different customs and histories and language of just such different histories. And yet, Strong similarities in how they face oppression and how they resist oppression. Uh, I had this wonderful interview, I was just so pleased with it, um, with a young activist um, named Christian Davis Bailey. Uh, Christian with a K. Do Google him. He sounds like an extraordinary human being. Um, who who talked to me? He he was one of the co-writers of the script. Essentially, he is a co-poet, I should say, because the script is such so poetic and it's such a beautiful poem. And so we had him on uh, Uprising on Friday, and um, it'll be on our website, uprisingwithsonali.com, dot uh, com, very soon. Uh, and so the conversation that I had with Christian was describing this this. Um, the solidarity campaign between these two communities and it was very powerful to hear how he put it what he had to say so if you get a chance to do um, take a listen to that well it uh, half an hour has flown by which means that it's time for me to say adieu until next Thursday thank you so much for listening do post comments if you go to my website sonalikohatkar.com And click on podcast, click on the podcast that you want to leave comments for and just leave a comment and I will try to respond. Uh, And if you leave an interesting enough question, I might even ask it during the next podcast and try to answer it. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week.